The following sermon is by Manny Alaniz, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel in Northwest San Antonio, Texas. For more information, for prayer, or to support us financially, please visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. My beloved, I entreat you, come to Jesus Christ, who will enrich your soul with an eternal rest. Let us prepare our hearts to hear God's truth, which comes through the preaching of his word. And that begins with prayer. Let us pray together. Oh, Lord. You've given us your word for a light to shine upon our path. Grant us so to meditate on that word and to follow its teaching through the preaching of, the, of that word. That we may find in it the light that shines more and more unto the perfect day. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Please be seated. The other day, uh, I was talking to Sandy, and she reminded me, or she said, hey, I have some sad news. Uh, the actor, some of you may know, James Kahn, James Kahn passed away the other day. Uh, he was 82 years old. And, and I kind of said, well, you know, he's just a, he's an actor. We don't really know him like, personally. But, I mean, it seems like we, we know him. We've seen him in many movies. And when we started talking about his, his death, we started thinking about our, our own mortality. We, we started thinking about the people that we know and love personally that have gone to be with the Lord. And again, as we spoke, we started talking about, well, how much longer? You know, how much longer is it for today? Again, talking about our own mortality, the state of being subject to death. How long? How long do we, how long do you have to live? Do you know? If you knew, would you do anything different? How long have you yourself to live? Will you make it through another Christmas? Would you make it through another Easter? We see your grand your grandkids grow up. Sandy and I have received recently have received two invitations, two invitations to attend two different weddings, two different dates, two different locations. The question for us is, will those weddings find us alive to attend? We know that the Bible promises what the Bible says. It says that tomorrow is not promised to anyone. Tomorrow is not promised to anyone. Listen, there is one invitation that demands our attention, our immediate attention. And it demands our attention each and every day. 
And that's the invitation this morning. This invitation is unlike any other invitation that you and I might receive, might ever receive. Yes, it is of unspeakable importance. It concerns our eternal happiness, the eternal happiness of our soul. And as theologian C.J., I'm sorry, as theologian J.C. Ryle writes, he says, this invitation is a text of scripture which deserves to be written in letters of gold. The invitation by Christ himself, come to me, come to me. How long do you have, how long do you yourself have to live? Have you answered that invitation? As we turn to our text today, we can see that we can quickly break it down into four parts, uh, four different parts that, that obviously relate to one another, but four parts that we're going to go through really quick. So let's kind of stay with me here. But the first part is, who is making this invitation? Who is making this invitation? And to whom is this invitation addressed? And what does the caller ask you to do? And what does the caller offer to give you? So as we turn to our text, we look at the first question. Our first question is, who is making this invitation? Who is making this invitation? John the Baptist asked the same question. If you recall John the Baptist, he's the one that when he first saw Jesus walking toward him, he said, he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is a declaration when he sees Christ walking. So it's clear, without a doubt, that initially, at least, John the Baptist recognized Jesus as being the one meaning the Christ, meaning the Messiah, meaning God's King in the vernacular. And as we turn and look at our text to get a better understanding, we do turn to the first part of this chapter to, 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 get, to, to, to talk about or to learn who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to the people. He's talking to the cities. And he's revealing himself. But to answer the question, who is this that's calling us? We, we go back to John the Baptist. You remember what happened to John the Baptist after he declares Jesus as being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What happens to him? Well, he's arrested. Herod the Great throws him in jail. And it is at that point that John undergoes a major trial, so to speak, in his life. He starts having some doubts, and we ask the question, why? I mean, someone obviously directed him to do all this, and it was God. But you could tell he's having some doubts, and it all starts because he is thrown in jail. And it, we're to, we, we don't get a feel for how long he's there, but it, we're, it is believed that he was in prison for, about, uh, for over a year when he starts having even bigger doubts, starts hearing about how Jesus is being rejected all over the place. And everything starts to 
collapse on him. He starts getting irritated. He starts getting distraught about who Jesus is. Remember, the people of the nation believed that the Messiah was going to change everything. He was going to be like a political Messiah that was going to change the political landscape. And perhaps so did John. Perhaps. And so John's sitting in prison. And he's there over a year, perhaps hearing rumors of his execution, his pending execution. So what does is, what is John the Baptist do? He sends two of his disciples, two of his disciples to go to Jesus and ask him this. Are you the one to come or shall we look for another? Jesus' response to John is very telling. It's more than direct. Jesus answers saying, go tell John that, that uh, go tell John what you have heard and seen. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the leopards are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Interesting that he would say that because remember, he's being rejected by who? Mainly the religious leaders. They're offended by him. You see, the nation had long been awaiting this king. They've been waiting forever. And so while Jesus walked this earth, he wasn't doing the things that they thought he should be doing. Now, how can we relate to this? Because we need to relate to it. Well, you can relate to this, the way they were looking at Jesus, the way politics are today. Nothing's going right in your political sphere, right? Nothing's going right in your political world. And you're not happy with the things, the decisions that are made. And you want somebody else to do something different. And everything's going to trash. Well, in a very real way, they were expecting that type of political change. And Jesus was not here to make a political change. He was going to make an eternal change. He was here to cause an eternal change. He was here as a friend to sinners. The eternal Son of God came to bring us this grand invitation, this invitation. It is Jesus Christ who makes this invitation to who? To whom is this invitation addressed? Who is he calling? Well, we're being told that the, the, the passage tells us to everyone, to all, to everyone who labors and is heavy laden. Labors and is heavy laden. Now this what what he's what this call is is a comfort, is a it is a calling, it's a comfort, an expression. Of love, of love that Jesus is doing, to call it out to everyone who labors and is heavy laden. Jesus is addressing this call to everyone who has suffered the curse of God. Remember what God tells Adam? That he was going to suffer. He was going to, his labor, in his labor, he was going to be cursed. And so was Eve. I mean, they were good. Humanity was cursed at the fall. Genesis 3. By the sweat of your brow, you were going to work, toil, 
That's everyone. Everyone after the fall, everyone is going to labor and be heavy laden. So who is God? Who's Christ directing this? This is directed at everyone. Everyone who has been cursed. Everyone who has suffered the effects of sin. Which resulted in what? Death. And separation from God. But here's the sticker. Here's the tricky part. Holy Scripture tells us that not everyone is going to be saved. So this invitation is going out to the world. It's going out to the entire world. The gospel message today goes out to the entire world. Anyone can read it. <coughs> Anyone can hear it on the Internet, through the, through the World Wide Web. Anybody can hear the gospel message. But, it, but we are told that in Holy Scripture that only certain people are going to respond. Only a certain, a chosen, will respond to that invitation. Those who have ears to hear, uh, eyes to see, and a heart to understand this invitation. Now, <clears throat> a lot of people may think that that's cruel, but you know for a fact that there are people that you know all over the world in, in this country that do not want anything to do with Christ. They reject him. They don't want anything to do with him. They disagree with, with what the Bible says. It's not fair. Whatever they may say. You know that there are people who do not want anything to do with Jesus Christ. And that would be us, too. Until God's grace. Until God's grace comes upon us and changes everything. Until we're born again, as Scripture uh, tells us, until we're born from above, until things, everything, until our world turns upside down. <coughs> it, it is those who are going to hear this invitation. Now, when we talk about um, the people that are laboring and are heavy laden, what does that mean? Laboring or heavy, heavy laden? Well, I mean, labor is, is to... It's to toil, especially in a fallen world. But what does it mean to labor? When you labor, what do you what do you do? It you're toiling, where you're kind of struggling against, you're kind of pushing against the grain. And those who are heavy laden, those are who have a heavy burden on them. Now sometimes we feel okay, we think things are going all right, and then all of a sudden something else happens, and we're toiling again, we're laboring again, we feel the effects. Why? Well, because this is a fallen world. This is not heaven. This is a broken world. We're going to feel the effects of the fall each and every day. So how do we know, how do you know that you're hearing this call? Well, first, first, are you laboring? Are you toiling with the world? Are you suffering? Are you always struggling? Does it seem like it never ends? And when it is, it seems like something else comes out. And you're struggling and toiling and toiling with the world. Your heart is aching. Thank you, Anna. Someone recommended to me that I should bring a sprite up here, and I forgot. Let me have some. <laughs> hey, I'm laboring, laboring, laboring to to preach God's truth. Toiling, right? And heavy laden. 
you know, okay, let's talk about that. No, because I want to get this getting personal. You got to reflect on your life, what it means to labor, to toil, and, and to have a heavy burden on you. Uh, some, some of our burdens are self-imposed, granted. Most of them are probably not. Labor, for me, to preach God's word, it's, it's, well, it's, it's a joy. The burden is, am I, you know, am I, I'm preaching it to him. And I'm thinking, I'm like, am I getting this right? Are you? I, in fact, I get to the point where I asked Sandy to pray for me earlier. I just want to get out of the way. Just let you talk. Just use me as a conduit. Just to, you can use my brokenness and my voice, but speak. Well, God is speaking, and he does do that. He does it through me. He does it through you. He does it through all of us. We actually meet him here and now. We meet him. And we're meeting him at this very moment. Right now, as our body aches, and we have a sore conscience, we're here, we're listening out for this invitation. And and if if you're if you're seeking, if you want rest for your weary soul, and don't know where to find it, if you are sick and need healing. If you are hungry and need to be satisfied, if you are thirsty and need to be refreshed, if you are needy and need to be enriched, if you are dying and need life, if you are lost and need to be saved, if you are guilty and need to be pardoned, if you are sin defiled and need to be cleansed, you need to answer this calling from Jesus Christ. And so what, what, that brings us to our next question. What does the caller, what does Christ offer to give you? What does he offer to give? He offers to give you rest. And I sent out the text yesterday that the world as you toil, labor, and work as hard as you can and have three or four jobs and don't think you're going to make it to the next one and, and just exhausted. The world offers you riches and Christ offers you rest. Which one do you want? Now, and so we got to get into what, what, what is being said here. What is being said? What does Christ offer us? When he calls us, he calls those who are laboring and heavy laden to come to him. And he offers this for nothing. It's like he gives you this. Christ promises, his promises, uh, some grand incentives, if you will, some in encouragement for you to come to him. What are those? What are those when you hear that? Well, the Lord is alluring you to come. He draws us to him with sweet offerings, sweetness, by saying, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. When I was growing up, uh, my dad uh, would come home in the evening, late in the evening, and, and he would come home and he was extremely tired. And it was a routine for us, okay? So we were just little chiquitillos. Uh, he would come home, and he would be walking, kind of dragging in, 
he would sit down in the living room area, the, the best, the most comfortable, comfortable chair he could find. And we were, so he would sit down and he would take his hat off, his straw beat up hat and take it off. And you could see the tan line on his head and, and, and you could see where the sun scorched his face that was caked with sweat and dirt on it as he tried to catch his breath. And we were ready for him. We had a glass of ice cold water for him to drink and we would give it to him and he would sip on it just a little bit, a little bit. Then he would drink it all and then he wanted another one. And after that, he would kind of make his way to the, to the table to be fed supper. And when I think of rest, I think of him needing rest, needing rest. I mean, because, because it is, and it's not just him, it is us uh, suffering and laboring in so many different ways where we're not getting satisfaction, we're not quite making it, but we're almost there. If the government would only help us, or if we get that little bitty pay raise that we might be able to get, we're almost there. See, that's the promises of the world, right? And Jesus is saying, well, I'm going to give you rest. I will give you rest. So what is this rest that Christ is promising? The rest that Christ gives us is more than, than uh, leisure for your body. It's more than leisure for a person who has been uh, miserable and, and exhausted. You may, like even today, you may be placed in a palace and you may be surrounded by every comfort there is and the abundance of riches and the abundance of money. And you may be promised and you may look at your bank account and you may see all the, all the cares of tomorrow are taken care of. But this does not give you rest. There's always more. There's always more there. For a number of things, right? There's always a fear of disease. There's always a fear of death. There's always a fear of your loved ones being hurt. There's always something there. There's never the rest that Christ promises. The rest that Christ gives us is an inward thing. The rest, it is rest for our hearts and rest for our conscience. It is rest for our mind. It is rest for our affections. It is rest for our will. Christ promises the rest from the comfort and from the comfort of knowing that our sins are all forgiven and our guilt is taken away. Our guilt is taken away. That is, you know, as Christians, we, we, we hear about how God takes or forgives our sins. He takes away our sins. But sometimes we forget the second part of that. And what is that? That our guilt is taken away. You see, when we sin, we've committed a crime against God. And we're told that Christ died on the cross for our sin. But still, I'm still the person that did that. If I killed somebody, committed murder, and I was pardoned by that for that crime, I'm still the one that killed that person. There is a guilt factor there. Does that make sense? 
And Jesus, in, in, in his glory, says that not only will I pay the penalty for your crime, I'm going to remove the guilt that you feel as if it never happened. Isn't that glorious? That is rest. That is rest that he's promising us. The rest from a, from, from a solid hope that, that, that good things are coming, that we know that God's good things are coming. His promises are going to be fulfilled. It is a rest that reaches beyond the grave, beyond death, to eternity. It reaches into eternity. It is a rest that is well grounded in, our, in, our, in how we feel. The rest that Christ promises us is a Sabbath day rest. And we read about that in, in where? In, in uh, uh, Hebrews, all through Hebrews. It talks about how Jesus is a Sabbath day rest, right? And, and this passage is alluding to it. And we just talked about it. Remember the fall. What happens at the fall? Curse. Curse. You're going to labor. You're going to toil all the days of your life. You're going to be, you're going to have a heavy burden on you. That's the curse. What Christ says, I'm your Sabbath day rest because I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to pay the penalty. I'm going to remove your guilt, and I'm going to give you this Sabbath day rest. Remember how the Jews lived their lives? Uh, the commandment. Uh, keep holy the Sabbath day. They were to toil. They were to work for six days. And on the seventh day, they were to what? Stop. And the Bible tells us that it was a reflection of, what, of the creation, where God so-called labor to create the whole universe. And what did he do on the seventh day? He rested. And he rested not because he was tired. He doesn't get tired. All it's telling us is that he stopped what he was doing. And that's what's going on here. Jesus Christ is our Sabbath day rest. He says, come to me. Come to me and you will enter my Sabbath day rest. You can rest. You can rest. And then he talks about what? He talks about how he will take our yoke. And that's our sinfulness. He's taking the yoke, the yoke that God placed on us. When we talk about yoke, we're talking about an oxen. We're talking about a plow. We're talking about putting burden on our shoulders and walking and, and pulling that burden or carrying that burden on us. That's the yoke. That's the yoke that we could put on ourselves, and that's why God cursed us. He put this yoke on us. And, and what does Christ say? I'm going to take that yoke. But I'm going to give you another yoke, an easy yoke, an easy yoke. He's going to give us a yoke of following him, submitting to him, giving our lives to him. But not to be saved, we're already saved. It is a submission of our love for him, loving him. See, when we talk about salvation and when we talk about the work, the, the works that we're called to do, many people think that there, there's the, the, the burden is now on the works of the law and, and being obedient to the law. And, and see, 
even for a reformed person, we have to be careful because that is works righteousness. And we're not saved by that. We're called to be obedient, but we're called to be obedient because of love. Because we love the church? No, because we love Christ. We are the church. And we're called to be obedient because of our love for him. We love him that much that we want to be obedient to him. And then when we're not obedient to him, what happens to us? We feel guilty. We, we don't want to live like this. We just want to shake it off. Well, we have this, now we're talking about a burden. Now we're thinking, man, I've grieved the one I love the most. How do you feel when you grieve the one you love the most? You don't feel good. And see, that is our submission to Christ. What do we do? We're called to repent and then and then forget it. Then, we're, then just believe, continue to believe. It's okay. He's already paid for that sin. He's already handled that for us. So the yoke that, that Christ has laid upon us is easy. We are to submit to Christ in love, a never-ending love. And even that love, as we've spoken about before, is poured into us by the Holy Spirit. See if you can believe that. So when you love Christ, you're being, you're engulfed by the Holy Spirit. When you love Christ, you are saturated by God. A love that was poured into you, you're loving back. You are saturated by a love for him. Can you imagine? How does that make you, how does that make you feel? Because some of you have experienced this. There's a joy that is almost unspeakable. A joy that you just can't share with anyone else unless they felt it. And that's the yoke. That's the yoke. The yoke of Christ brings us rest. That is, it brings us salvation, an eternal salvation for our eternal soul in the kingdom of God. We spoke about James Conn just a few minutes ago. Well, one of the movies he did was the Godfather movie, right? The Godfather. And... Uh, one of the things that is said, just I remember this when I thought about James Conn. I remember this quote. Some of you may have heard, may remember it too. Uh, Michael Corioti says this. He says, it's a, a quote that a lot of people, the people I know always say. He said, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Now, that quote can be traced back all the way to the 5th century B.C. to a Chinese warlord named Sun Tzu. He was a Chinese warlord that used that quote before. And I guess the writer of The Godfather brought it back and kind of adapted it. And what it's, it's since, okay, since the beginning, what is, what, what's that saying? What's it saying? It's saying that no one can be trusted, man. No one can be trusted. Friends or enemies, doesn't matter. It reminds us that this is a fallen and broken world. It is a reminder that we need salvation. We need rest. Jesus talks about this rest, too, when he talks about hell. And there, we will never get rest. Our souls will never find rest. It's an eternal punishment, an eternal punishment. So now the question for you remains, have you heard this invitation? The invitation to, by Christ to come to me. Have you heard it? 
Do you desire the rest, this rest for your soul? Have you responded to this invitation? And if not, why not? And if you have, this is just another reminder of his love for you. It's just another reminder that he loves you, that he's always calling out for you. Why? Because we could be distracted in this world. There's a lot of distractions. A lot of people, they're trying to pull you away from your walk with Christ. It happens continuously. They will offer alternatives. Even people that you care about. Just a reminder that Jesus has called you and you've responded. And you have to continue to walk in his ways. But if you've not answered, well, why not? Why not? Is there a fear? Perhaps there's a fear that you're going to have to give up something. Well, I can help you with that. And it comes from Scripture. Yeah, when you answer the calling of Christ, you're going to have to give up something. And you know what that is? Everything. You'll have to give up everything. You're going to lose your life to find him, to find it. God, when you respond to God's calling, when you submit to him, you submit to him 100%, not 99%. You give yourself all to him. So what happens if you don't? What happens if you're a true Christian and you're just kind of Ifing it, ifing, ifing. I kind of give myself to him. I really love him. I really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what happens if you belong to him and you're not willing to give up that sin or sins? What does he do? What does God do? Well, I tell you what, he does a lot. You undergo a lot of trials until you figure it out, until you figure out that God loves you and you belong to him. And nothing else matters. And you submit your life to him. And that comes through trials and tribulation. And we're, it's called sanctification by any other name. And it's a sanctification. It's a process we go through. It's the remainder of our life. Uh, a process that Christians go through. For the remainder of our life. For Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He died for sinners. And uh, so now that he's seated on the right hand of God, what is he doing? He's making, he's, he's an advocate for sinners. That's us. Jesus invites us plainly and freely to come to him. And our response to that calling comes from God himself. We submit to him. So, the, so now the final question, okay, is we just celebrated the 4th of July. Right, some of us. Will you see the next one? Let's pray. You've been listening to Manny Alanese, pastor at St. Stephen's Chapel. For more information about our church, visit our website at ststephenschapel.org or call us at 210-241-5969. Please join us prayerfully and financially as we seek to glorify God by preaching his word and spreading the gospel of grace in boldness and selflessness.